Hi everybody, Andy here. Just a couple of announcements before we start this week's show. The first announcement is that, as you will see from the episode number here, this is the 500th episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, and we just wanted to say we are so thrilled to have made it to 500. We definitely didn't think we would when we started this uh, in 2014, and we wanted to say thank you to all of you for listening. We know loads of you have been listening for many years, plenty of you have been listening right from the get-go, and whether you've listened to 500 episodes or whether you've just started, we wanted to say a huge thank you. It would not have happened without you, and we're thrilled you're here. This show is a very special one. It was recorded live at the London Podcast Festival, and as many of you know, we've been having lots of guests to cover Anna on maternity leave. This time, we pulled out all the stops, and our special guest is a name that will be familiar to many of you because it's Anna! Anna Tadinsky is back, everybody. She's back. She's better than ever. She insults us all in the first three minutes of the recording. We really hope you enjoy this show. Uh, And Anna will be back full time in another month or so. The second announcement is about a very exciting new book that's been published. It's called Everything to Play For, the QI Book of Sports. And its authors are none other than James Arkin and Anna Tajinsky of this podcast. That's right. James and Anna have written their first joint book uh, without me and Dan. Weird. Um... It's a brilliant book. It's a history of basically the entire world through the medium of sport. So it's great for people who like sport, but it's also great for people who don't think of themselves as sport lovers. I don't think of myself as a sport lover, but I'm reading it now and I'm absolutely engrossed. I'm learning fantastic new things on every single page. If you know someone who likes sport or if you like this podcast, you will love this book. It is absolutely full of mad, bizarre, wonderful niche things about the biggest sports in the world and the smallest ones and everything else in between. James and Anna have also read out the audiobook, so if you'd like to listen to them reading it, uh, that's like a huge bumper bonus episode of Fish. That can be done too. Once again, it's called Everything to Play For, the QI book of sports. Get it now. Get one for yourself and one for someone else at Christmas. That's it. Hope you enjoy it. On with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of No Such Thing as a Fish, our 500th show. Such thing as a fish! 
Thanks so much for coming, everyone, tonight. How you doing? <laughs> Fuck yes. All right. Um, cool the music, please. <laughs> so, we are so excited to be here tonight for our 500th episode. Um, we are... Uh, thank you so much. We've been having a lot of guests over the last nine months to come on in place of Anna because she's away on maternity, and so we've had a lot of fun. Um, arguably, the show's been better, I would say. Mm. Um, it's felt stronger. Uh, yeah. I'm joking, guys. Do you think I'd ever say that? If she heard that, she'd kick my fucking ass. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, anyway, we've been having amazing guests coming on, but we thought for the 500th episode, we need a big gun. We need someone who's going to really deliver the goods. Uh, unfortunately, we've we found someone, a rookie. Uh, so please make her feel welcome, kind of guide her in. Please welcome to stage. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the return of Anna Tashinsky! <laughs> What a funny ruse, Dan. What a hilarious little gag there. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> Shit. Um, can I just say, no intro music for me. Huge, ridiculously disproportionate build-up that's like welcoming Neil Armstrong back from the moon style <laughs> yeah. build-up. And then no, no uh, intro music for the super special, most exciting guest you've ever had on, okay. apparently. Just a little a director's note. Well, let's see how you do in this episode and we might have you back for more. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. <laughs> all right, so we got. Are we all ready to go? Should we yeah, do it? Yeah, yeah. 500th let's episode? Do it. All right, okay. Uh, let's roll theme tune. Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week, coming to you from the London Podcast Festival. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Horkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and ladies and gentlemen, it is the return of Anna Tashinsky. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts for this very special 500th episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is my fact, my fact this week is that in preparation for the 500th anniversary of the creation of Michelangelo's David, the people in charge of cleaning him had a huge falling out because they couldn't agree if he should be washed or dry cleaned. Mm. This, was, this was a big deal. He was, there was 10 years of preparation for this big birthday that was coming up. But the one thing that they couldn't decide on near the end was how do you actually do the cleaning process itself? From the image behind us, it looks like he's been hoovered. Well, so this is, this is after a decision has been made and a vacuum was involved, yes. Um, ah, I see. Yes. And also, I haven't seen my clan shows, David. Is he really, really big or is the person doing it a tiny little borrower? <laughs> He's 17 foot, which I'm told by the internet is the average size of a giraffe. If you want to picture that, because we've all seen a giraffe. Well, no, is I have. It? I've just realized I have. Sorry. That's why I say no. Yeah, they've got one at the zoo. Yeah. But they don't have one of these at the zoo. No. That's how you can tell the difference in many... I, that's how you can tell if you're in a zoo or in Florence. Yeah. 
what if you're in Florence, Florence Zoo? Zoo is, yeah, that's the <laughs> that's the one test case which doesn't work because they've got both. Yeah. Has it always been this slick? Have I? It's not director's commentary, <laughs> mate. It's just. <laughs> No, it is amazing. In fact, the, so for, for the people listening at home, the, we've got a picture here of the lady who's cleaning him. I think her name might be Eleonora Pucci, because yeah. th- she's the lady who currently cleans David, and she was interviewed about it this year, and she does it every two months. And she photographs him very carefully to see where, basically where the dust is and whether any extra grime has accumulated. And then she, she dusts it, and she has this special vacuum cleaner designed for statues, which I had no idea was even a thing. And she, she gets on a scaffold and she has this backpack vacuum cleaner and, and just hoovers him. Is it, yeah. I just thought it was a low pressure vacuum. Is it designed for statues? It's not just a crap vacuum cleaner. It's a Henry. It's is it? <laughs> okay, Henry is high pressure. Is it? Famously. Yeah. I, I think my vacuum cleaner, I might have accidentally bought a statue vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I can't even get rid of a cobweb thread. But yeah, I think there might be some jealousy amongst the other statues. Because did you read, I think it was the comment from her when she said, we dust the other statues four times a year, but his majesty gets the treatment every two months. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, After they did the big restoration, I was reading an interview with a member of the team called Antonio Paolucci. Uh, and he said, only someone with expert knowledge and a thorough and long familiarity with the statue will be able to tell that certain irregularities are no longer there. Okay. And I'm just thinking that that's what I would say if I hadn't done it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, you could, oh, what, you can't see it? Well, that's because you're not an expert. If you're an mm. expert, you'd be able to see what I'd done. Yeah. They got so angry about it, didn't they? Oh, yeah. There was so much some, drama. Like, someone, someone resigned over which cleaning method they were going to use. Yeah, can we talk about what is the difference in statue terms? Because I'm not even sure what the difference is in clothes terms between washing and dry cleaning. What's the difference in statue terms? Okay, well, okay. um, So what I'm going to tell you has a lot of gaps because I don't understand it, but um, (laughs) roughly what I'm about to tell you... Plus change. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Roughly roughly it's this. (laughs) It's very hard to Mm. clean a statue. Okay, that's one of the big problems. You're not even dealing with the grime that it's accumulated over the past. It's about the previous cleaning methods that have messed up the statue. So you're kind of dealing with the problems of the past. So so David was cleaned in the 1800s at some time, and then nothing until uh, 2004 or three when they were getting ready for the big 500 anniversary. So if you use anything that's wet on it, you're going to be making things worse. Whereas Mm. the brush is just a light. So is that dry cleaning? The dry cleaning is, dry is the cleaning. brush. The vacuuming is the is the dry cleaning. A wet right. clean would oh. be washing so, machine. Soapy water. Washing soapy machine. water. A big car. Oh, imagine a car wash with the David going through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely. <laughs> Um, so, but you yeah. had these two people. You had the director of the museum who was going for one side. You had the person who was brought in arguing for the other side. And then there was an international body of artists who were protesting and writing letters saying, let him just stay dirty. They didn't want him cleaned at all. Mm. Yeah, so it's... Uh, Why do we want him to stay dirty? Is that because... You'll damage him if you clean him. In case of damage. Because they did in the olden days, didn't they? Like they cleaned him with hydrochloric acid, I think, that time in the 19th no. century. Yeah. Which really screwed him up. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Have you heard of uh, natural enzyme cleaning? No, what's this that? is a thing that lots of curators do, and it's basically spitting on the artworks <laughs> that you. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they don't actually spit. The, I th- well, the good ones don't spit on the artworks. Basically, <laughs> you use you, you you lick a cotton bud. And then you use that, but uh, but during COVID they stopped this practice. But loads of really senior, (laughs) (laughs) but it's so safe. That's the thing. It's so it's one of those things which was a bit it was a bit overkill. Yeah, yeah, people aren't going licking David, are they? Exactly. Unless visitors are actually licking the thing, then it it is totally safe. So if you are in the National Gallery and you spit on a painting, is that defence? Do you think? 
when oh. they come around and say we said not to go near it I think you can probably say I'm just cleaning Mona yeah. Lisa or whatever who's not in the National Gallery <laughs> I know uh, yeah. it's worth a try I think it it is. if you do yeah, end up doing that so do, you, do you know so one of the few things that were on David that needed cleaning there was beeswax on him oh, really why would there be beeswax because uh, well. because bees have made a made a hive inside yeah. his butt crack <laughs> Good call. No, yeah. yeah. Um, same, well, same answer as James, please. Yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I just need to hear it a second time. To, um, so uh, beeswax. beeswax is used to... Is, that's a cleaning clean, product, It's a cleaning isn't it? product. Yeah, would, that's, yeah. that's why. Yeah, you get beeswax to clean with, yeah. so presumably. So they're not entirely sure, but what they think it is, is that back in the day, pre-electricity, when people were coming to see, and they were on, let's say, a higher ledge to look over it, the candles that they were holding oh. to get a better view was melting on top of David, and so they found 15 splashes of beeswax. <laughs> wow. That's very he cool. was actually bald originally, wasn't he? <laughs> that's all just wax accumulated. It is weird, isn't it, that... Because it's David. David is famously a smaller person in mm. the story. Yeah. And yet he's so big. Have you not but seen the Goliath um, <laughs> <laughs> statue? It's next door. Oh wow! In the zoo. How many? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there's one yeah. thing in particular that I have in common with David the statue. Can you guess what that is? Not uh, the penis. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, Oh, what do we know about it? Um, you make your wife hoover you every day before you go to work. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of suction on our Henry. <laughs> it's very much a three-person relationship. <laughs> Me, my wife, and Henry. <laughs> That's why he's smiling all the time. What do you Goodness have the me. same as him? Does he have the face blindness thing that you have? <laughs> Because he looks like he doesn't recognise anyone who's in front of him. Like, uh, no, he's, he's met us so many times. Look at him. He's like, who are you? I he know you. Know. I'll be uh, honest. You're not going to get this. We would both collapse if we were tilted forward 15 degrees. Is that not the case with all of us? No. So a normal human will fall over after about 20 degrees of oh. tilt. Yeah. Uh, but what about your big head? <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> he's got cracks on his ankles. And if you tilt him, um, his ankles will absolutely collapse. Oh. Uh, and I tried this. I videoed myself at home, <laughs> leaning forward and until I fell over. And then paused it and then measured exactly where I stopped. <laughs> Did you? Really? <laughs> your, your wife's next door. Darling, Henry and I are waiting. <laughs> and it turns out that I can't get much further than 15 either. Wow. 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 Yeah. I just want to be clear. I meant you've got a physically big head, not a metaphorically big head. That's because that's better, I think. <laughs> um, oh, here's the thing. Michelangelo, or we call him Michelangelo or Michelangelo. Uh, what do you prefer? Michelangelo. Yeah. yeah, I think call him by the name that everyone knows him by. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he, he, was, um, he was shorter than real life David. And when I say real well, life David, wait a minute. <laughs> he was just 16 feet. Um, yeah. No, I'm so sorry. So David in the Bible, there are like, and the thing is, the Bible doesn't oh. say the height and weight classes of David and Goliath before they went into the fight. But there are lots of sort of biblical scholars who've had a had a rough, yeah, like, yeah. had a go at it. They think he, some think he might be five foot three, yeah. and Michelangelo was five two. But we only know that because shoes were found in his house, and they basically measured from the shoes. They assessed how tall, like. 
if his okay. shoes are this big, then he's this big. So how big was he? Five two. He's five foot two. Five so two. that's about the same as Lady Gaga or Yuri Gagarin. Right. Uh, and he mm. would be too short to be an Emirates Airline flight attendant. <laughs> This is one of those studies, whoever came up with that, that is one of the many reasons I left this show originally. Um, (laughs) Shoes back in the olden days were not measured with that kind of precision, A, that meant you could judge someone's height, and then B, you do get tall people with small feet. Yeah, it's it's an assessment. Also, we don't know if they were his shoes, Um, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) They, they, They were found in his home. So, you know, yeah. could have been a servant, Probably. could have been his wife. Could have been a servant, could have been his wife. I'm not sure if there was a Mrs. Michelangelo. I don't know. Right. I Ooh, think so. A lot of people think that he likes men. Um, right. and Michelangelo. Yes. And one of the reasons, fancied men, I mean. Um, and one of the reasons is that his female sculptures often seem to be men with breasts. And a lot of people have looked into it. And you should like, look up uh, Michelangelo female drawings and sculptures. Uh, they are, they're just men. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then with a sort of pair of lemons jammed yeah. onto the front. It's right. so weird. Do you know there's a theory as to why um, his penis is so small? Have you read that? David's. No, James's. <laughs> <laughs> Look, after all those nights with Henry, yeah, it's exactly. not as small as it used to be. Oh, dear. Um, okay, what? so he famously has a small penis. Yeah. Um, what, is it cold? No, it's, so... Um, <laughs> I thought you said, what is it called? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jeff? It's a private thing. <laughs> no, so there, there was a study done, and um, someone who read the study kind of pulled this out as a... As, I don't think the authors of the study were specifically saying it, but they read from the detail. It's because he's about to fight... A fucking giant, and he's terrified. Right, right. Oh. So his penis yeah. has shrunk in terror, and that's that's Michelangelo showing <laughs> that. Um, yeah, that's that what happens. And like it was an adrenaline thing, isn't it? As yeah. in the body, the body doesn't it remove blood from where it's not needed at the moment, oh, okay. and puts it in, you know, like muscles for fight or flight and things like Your that. Your body doesn't it. suck it up so that it doesn't get hurt in the battle. That would be clever. <laughs> no, no. The actual penis on this statue is about six inches in length. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not, not small by real terms. Yeah. But someone on Reddit called Bendy Bendy Spine, <laughs> uh-huh. um, he worked out that <laughs> in real life, if David was brought down to real size, he would be just under five centimeters. Uh, and okay. that means, according to standard UK guidelines, he would be considered a candidate for penile lengthening <laughs> surgery. <laughs> I noticed, though, he's converted it to centimetres to make it sound bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, look, there, are, there are a number of standard manoeuvres you can pull, that's <laughs> sure. But also, it's not, it's not, it's not, um, it's not up. No, so it's flaccid, yeah. But is that is that is that the measurement under which you qualify? Not, I don't need to ask. I'm not asking. In fact, <laughs> so let's just, you know, um, I'll send you a link. So after thank the you show. very much. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact is that having ten fingers and no thumbs is very useful for playing the piano. Okay. Yeah, so if anyone's got that in the audience, then take up the piano. Okay, so how do you end up with 
so this is a condition, a rare condition, sure, but it's where you can be born with um, no thumbs, and instead of thumbs, you have fingers. And I, I just find all this stuff so interesting. So it's little tweaks in our genes. So we have genes that specify like the position of things in our body, and they're called Hox genes. So that says like your arm goes on your shoulder, your foot goes on your leg. It's like funny bones. That book is kind of like. Mm that the hox gene and if the hox gene gets a mutation in it then you might end up with something in the wrong place and so if there's a particular mutation you might end up with a finger as your thumb and i happen to read two accounts one is of a woman who had this five finger trait in 1957 i actually initially read this in a book called quirks of human anatomy an evo devo look at the human body which is so interesting and i would recommend Anyway, yep, she said she didn't think of it as a disability, it didn't hold her back in any way, and actually it meant that she played the piano more easily. Mm. And then there was a Reddit AMA quite recently with a man who has the same um, symptom, and again, he's a professional musician, and he said, it makes me better at the piano. Really? Now, I know they don't know how good they would have been at the piano if they'd had eight fingers and two thumbs, but... Wait, hang on, have you got two joints? You've got, um, I think it varies a little bit, okay. but one of them had, one of them was opposable and the other wasn't. Because um, some people get, this is a triphalangeal thumb, that's what it's called, and it's where your thumb has three phalanges, those are the bones inside your fingers, instead of two. So it might give you a longer thumb, but it might also give you a weaker thumb, and often those are not opposable, which is a pain. Mm, that is a pain. Mm. So it's Although, useful very much on piano, as in on a flat surface, but not on a, you know, another environment. Like a guitar. Um, which is weird because this guy also played the guitar and said it was useful for that. <laughs> it sounds like he's a really sunny guy. Like he's just like, yeah, just really he's making it work. Side. It's amazing. In the um, report about this woman in 1957, the woman with the five five fingers on each hand, it said that she came into hospital because she was giving birth, and that's when they documented her. And then it said her newborn was the same. So we think the trait is probably genetic. <laughs> <laughs> that's a proper scientist. Yeah. That, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. It's not like those chances who found a shoe in Michelangelo's house and said, oh, well, we think he was five foot two, actually. <laughs> Do you guys think a thumb is a finger? No. Ooh. No. Yeah. Uh, for the audience, is the thumb a finger? Yes? No. Is it not? No. Pretty Ooh, evenly, pretty evenly matched. A little bit well, it's a good job you guys aren't finger surgeons uh, because this is a problem in finger surgery that some surgeons count a thumb as a finger and some don't. And if you Wait, say to someone, no. you need to remove the fourth finger on someone's hand, there have been cases where people have counted from the thumb when they shouldn't have done oh. and they've taken the wrong finger. Stop no. it. Really? That has happened. And We've so invented a... so much stuff as a species, we can't invent like, what, the label to go, that's crazy. <laughs> well, there are a few papers that have talked about this and most of them say we should call them index finger, ring finger, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that will remove any problems. Um, but as late as 2009 was the last paper that this came in in the Canadian Medical Journal who said, we really need to stop saying fourth finger or third finger or whatever. I mean, for instance, you could be counting from this way or from this way. Oh, like, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, who starts with the little finger? That's like people who say potato. They just don't exist. <laughs> or, or Michelangelo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. They should have a, like, this little piggy system. Yeah. Like, which little piggy? The piggy who uh, had roast beef. There. We all know which piggy we're talking about. There's that usually toes. toes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. You'll oh, be no. a terrible surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> Great news. Got both little piggies. Won't be needing those middle fingers again. What? 
Back in oh. the 19th century, they used to use fingers as a way of determining quite a few medical things. And one of the things was, are you dead? So How did they do that? Then? So one of the things was there was a guy um, who was a French doctor, uh, Leon Colangeles. Um, mm. Col- God, it's, it's like being on the banks of the Seine, isn't it? It's... Uh, <laughs> Oh, lovely. <laughs> I can't say it. Cologne, it, it reads like colon juice. I can't. I, <laughs> colon juice. Do you want me to read out your facts? Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> L- Leon? Uh, Leon Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His way, he believed, of confirming if someone was dead. I think they were quite nervous about actually if someone was dead in a coma, if their, if their stats were just lower, we didn't have the technology, was to take a finger. He would take their finger and he would put it in his ear. And he would listen yeah. for a buzz because they sort of thought that the body just emitted a buzz when it was still alive. So he would sit there and he would take their finger, put it in his ear and say, no, he's dead. And, but and wait a minute, fingers don't emit buzzes. So but, does he just think that everyone's dead when he puts a finger in the ear? I, I mean, you know, this is a time where he was developing a theory and obviously That's he wasn't bizarre. someone... I do know that this is about when they didn't know whether... They didn't really know about the pulse and brain activity yeah, yeah. in the yeah. way they do now. And there were competitions to see which doctors could come up with a guaranteed way of determining whether the yeah, whether and life Yeah, actually, I think we still don't really know when the brain is dead compared to right. the rest of the body. Yeah, but yeah. They, they did have... All, and this was one method, and they had... Another was to put an insect in the patient's ear, I think, or nose. It must have been like, who can resist? Going, Ugh. you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, if and you're then, not doing that, you're dead. And then another know. finger-based one from the 18th century was if someone was in a coma or potentially dead, yeah. you would cut their finger off. And no. The, yeah, and the idea was you'd cut it off, and they'd be like, whoa! <laughs> and they'd either wake up from death or from a coma. <laughs> so that oh. was another method, yeah. Do you know, just speaking of bodies giving off buzzing sounds, I remember reading ages ago, you know tinnitus? Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, is when you can hear a buzzing in your ear. Some people have a form of tinnitus where they emit a buzzing... You're so kidding. if you get really close as the ENT surgeon, you can be like, yep, you're right, you've got tinnitus. That must be pretty annoying. And isn't that insane? It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. But I, I, wouldn't hear, like, I wouldn't hear your tinnitus and go, God, I've got tinnitus because I was sitting too close no, to you. No, you would. You'd be able to hear it. If you were, if you were really confused it as my own. No, because I would leave the room and then you go, God, it's so weird, my tinnitus only appears when Anna comes <laughs> I do usually get a weird headache when you are around and yeah. I can't... <laughs> That's perfectly normal, sir. <laughs> um, can I tell you about Joe Swarbrick? Yeah, go for it. Joe Swarbrick was a Belfast man who lost a finger in the luckiest way imaginable. Oh, okay, so one that he wouldn't have otherwise needed. <laughs> I actually don't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I like your thinking. A lucky finger to have lost. It's more about the circumstances under which he lost the finger. And he's called Swarbrick. That won't help you. Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking people used to be named like after things that they'd done, and he may have sworn at someone with his middle finger, and then a brick took it out. It's gone. Brilliant. I've missed the theorising. No, that's not it. Okay. He was in a job where he only ever had to count to nine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> So he was trying to travel to Canada. Okay, is that what? a clue? No, yeah, uh, barely. <laughs> like, oh, barely? Is it something to do with bears? No. Oh. Is it? Okay. And he and his brother, wanted. he wanted to go with his brother from Belfast to Canada. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he found he, a job on oh, a... Oh, <gasps> Titanic. <gasps> Titanic? He found a job on a ship. But sadly, at Southampton, there was an accident in the engine room, lost his finger. He, they had to kick him off the ship, and they said, and take your brother with you, too. And his brother escorted him off the ship. And that ship was the Titanic. Wow. Yeah. Why did the brother have to go? 
From the version I read, unclear. Ah. Hang on. I guess. Are you, wait, you've got a brother, Dan. <laughs> I do. You're working with him on a job. <laughs> yeah. His finger in an awful accident gets chopped off. Yeah. He needs to be escorted away from where you're working on the job. You'd be like, well, mate, I still want to do my holiday, so. <laughs> Hang on, is it. You'd on, go with him, wouldn't you? Is it on launch day? Uh, yeah. it's, it's out Southampton at that point. Yeah, yeah, so, so it's just before it was It's just, just before, before it's launch. really You would have got on, wouldn't you? Oh, it's the Titanic. I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> Send a postcard. How's the finger? Yeah. <laughs> you but won't send a postcard, you know. <laughs> and then actually, spoiler alert, Anatishinsky. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good story. And man. then he was in the navy in both world wars, and he lived until the fifties. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, he was injured in the second world war as well. He was really, uh, yeah, he was very. So he went back to sea and, and still risked his life then. Wow! Even after that, very impressive. And the brother. <laughs> This guy's getting shafted and more shafted than this story. Why? He's kicked off his job because his idiot brother loses a finger. <laughs> Next fingerless guy goes on to World War Hero. He's ridden out of history. He I'm actually, sorry. Joe Swarbrick himself did get an OBE for his work, not even in the war, just being a great guy in shipping. So yeah, right. no word on the brother. That's a fucking rough deal, man. <laughs> You've really taken sides of which brother you are. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You're the brother here. Stay on the boat that's going to sink. That's what I say. Yeah. Wow. Do you guys know what kind of finger a mascalitzane is? Ma- say it again. Mascalitzane. Mascalitzane. No idea. Mascalitzane. You're not, not going to get it. Is it like an animal finger or is it a... No, it's not. It, I'm just going to tell you. It's a finger that's under your armpit. Ooh. Oh, and oh. it's excellent. <laughs> Come here. You, can you can you beckon with it? Yeah, because that is the greatest finger be. to have. <laughs> I have to. This is awful, but I have to explain for people listening to the podcast what just happened. <laughs> Andy is giving me the come to bed finger underneath his armpit. <laughs> I haven't been so aroused since I saw that smile on Henry's face. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, gosh. Um, no, it's not a means of seduction, and I don't know why you think exposing your armpit would usually be a means of seduction. Well, normally, if you're getting to exposing your armpit, things are getting pretty hot and heavy, aren't they? <laughs> what? Do you go to the beach and go, wow, these people want it? Uh, so normally in a three-piece tweed suit, you know, yeah. I'm heavily dressed down for this. Yeah. yeah. But you cut the holes, don't you? And then it's arms <laughs> up if you like someone. It's nothing to do with that. Is that um, another genetic uh, sort of quirk? No, this is actually something in ancient Greece. And I came across this in a study that was called Armpitting Among the Ancient Greeks. And basically, it was where if you'd killed someone, uh, then you would cut their finger off and shove it under their armpit. Oh. And oh. we're not quite sure why they did this. We think maybe it's either off- offering it to the gods as like a, sorry, I killed this person, please forgive me, have their finger thing, which seems a bit kind of on the nose. Um, or it means that the dead person can't take vengeance in the next world because they don't have a finger. But <laughs> can, can you point out the guy who killed you? <laughs> no. Anyway, this was so common or so known that it, there was a specific word, which was mascalitzane, which literally means stuff under the armpit, which refers to fingers under an armpit, fingers tucked into an armpit. Weird. Or sorry, mascalismata is the stuff under the armpit. Mascalitzane is to, to put a finger under the armpit, right. I guess. Wow. Wow. Do you know what animal has like the longest finger? Is it the um, is it the Madagascar the eye yeah. eye the eye eye you got it yeah. so if you ever see an image of an eye eye they're like a really cute little primate thing but they've got this really really long finger that's almost as long as their probably their whole head maybe a bit more even 
And the interesting thing about that is they love to pick their nose. Oh. And when they pick their nose, they go all the way oh, in. No. Right? Oh. And no one could work out exactly what was going on because where does your finger go? If your finger is, let's say a human finger is three times longer at least, and you're putting it all the way up your nose, where is the finger going to end up? Uh, a bit in the brain? In the brain. Or in the eye socket? Well, or exactly. The, That's what you think, right? So they did a CT scan on an eye <laughs> who was picking her nose. <laughs> and they turned out that actually it kind of goes into the nose, through the sinuses, and then down into the back of the throat. Oh. Wow. And this so you is... can get rid of phlegm as well as snot. <laughs> is that what it's for? It's almost like that. Almost as disgusting as that. In fact, perhaps more disgusting than that. Basically, they think that what they're doing is picking their nose Mm. and then they're eating it, but they don't have to go through the mouth. Oh, brilliant. So it doesn't get stuck in their teeth. (laughs) Secret bogey eaters. I'm saving. I would argue not that secret. (laughs) It was secret until those bloody scientists came along with their CT scanner. (laughs) What a great scam rumbled. (laughs) <laughs> we need to evolve that. We will eventually, socially, so that you'll never know who's eating their bogeys and who isn't. Mm. And we will no longer be socially shamed. They, they will no longer be socially shamed, those people. <laughs> it is time for fact number three, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that in the late 1950s, a woman called Cougar Annie put an advert in a newspaper looking for a younger man to marry. But that isn't why she got her nickname. She was just really good at killing cougars. (laughs) There she is on our screen for people at home. Uh, She was one of the most badass people that I've ever read about. (laughs) She lived on Vancouver Island. Long story short, we'll get into it all, but basically she was married to an opium addict. Uh, and she lived in Vancouver, and to escape the opium dens of Vancouver, you know, those famous opium (laughs) dens of Vancouver, her family moved to this really remote area of Vancouver Island, and she spent her whole time clearing the land, so getting rid of all the shrubbery, getting rid of all the, any kind of wild animals that came to protect herself and protect her family, she often had to kill them. And according to reports, um, obituaries and stuff like that, she definitely shot at least 60 cougars Mm. in her life, Mm. uh, mostly in self-defense. But then later, the government started giving money to people who did it because they wanted to have more humans living in that area. So she was making money from it as well. Uh, Some contemporary obituaries said that she shot more than 100 cougars in her lifetime. And she also got 80 bears as well. Uh, But yeah, she was basically um, going to this area where no humans lived and she was just trying to clear the area so she could live there. And so her husband dies, she has three kids and she decides, I want to look for another husband. So in 1936, she advertises... Oh, this is... Sorry, there are two separate occasions on which she advertised for a younger husband. Yeah, Yeah. this is the first one. (laughs) But she used the same... She used the exact same... same. advert both times. Exactly. Yeah, 1936, the Western producer, which is where she advertised it, she said, BC widow with nursery and orchard wishes partner, widower preferred object matrimony mm. and someone she married someone right and she yeah. she she had a few marriages in the end she lost the husband that she had from the 1936 advertising in 1942 when he accidentally shot himself and allegedly allegedly <laughs> yeah <laughs> And he then, was dressed as a cougar at the time, though, wasn't he? <laughs> he so, was, yeah. There were suspicions. Yeah. And uh, so then, one, yeah. and then she re-advertises, as Andy says, with the exact same wording, <laughs> copy and paste, for a new husband. Yeah. 
It's so good. Well, when you've worked on the wording, it's clearly done the job once. Yeah. Use it again. Did it work? Hard to say, because he was indeed a younger man, 12 years younger, was it? The, uh, last, the last husband. One, yeah. fourth one, yeah. um, the fourth husband. But he was also not very nice. Um, so I think he was a drunk and he stole from her. And then eventually, and you probably read more about this, apparently he attempted to run Annie off a cliff uh, in order to take over her farm and she chased him away with her shotgun. She did, that's what happened. And he never came back. And then she lived on in the homestead into her 90s and carried on kind of working on there, living off the land, kind of selling bits and pieces. She also set up a post office in the area. There was no one else there. <laughs> and so basically she would um, be able to get all these stamps in and then she used the stamps to pay her bills. It was like a bit of a scam. Oh. Um, but yeah, and the, uh, by the way, a lot of this time when she was clearing the land and trying to get rid of these wild animals, she was pregnant. So between 1915 and 1931, which was when she did most of the work, she gave birth to at least 11 children. So I'm just saying, Anna, nine months off. <laughs> But maternity leave conditions weren't as beneficial in those days, <laughs> you know? If she'd got full um, salary for a few months, how then many, how many she would bears never have killed have all you killed during the, <laughs> you know... No, she does sound remarkable. There were a lot of... There were sort of they paid a lot of bounties, didn't they, for killing cougars back in the day? They, they did. To, you know, they were trying to sort of, you know, tame the frontiers, effectively. And so there were, like, 200 profession, professionals in the USA in 1930, and loads oh. more. Like, those were the federal ones and loads of other state ones. Yeah. People like Cougar Smith or um, Ben Lilly, who hunted cougars with a knife, which I respect a bit more. Okay. As yeah. in, I think, you know, that's giving the cougar a fighting chance. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's yeah. not as efficient, is it? It's, it's like if, no. if I did this podcast every week, but I decided <laughs> to find all my facts from the local library only using books between 1812 and 1829. It's like, how interesting that you do that. You're not nearly as good at the job. I'm pretty sure you've just described how Andy <laughs> finds his facts. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, can you not spoil my fact about the Prince Regent today? <laughs> Um, On one occasion, Annie heard her dogs barking outside. It was the middle of the night. Obviously, she's in the middle of nowhere, so there's no streetlights or anything like that. She went outside. She could hear a commotion. She got her gun, just (laughs) shot into the darkness, and then went back to bed. Uh, And then when she woke up, she saw that she had actually got a cougar with her gunshot. What? Uh, Yeah. Very impressive. Wow. That's amazing. Well, America, Canada was wall-to-wall cougars at the time, <laughs> exactly. so it's less impressive than it sounds. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't miss. Yeah. It was, yeah. But she, so she, she, she's not the origin of the word cougar to mean a woman who no, goes out um, the No, that bed. came in the, well after she died. Yeah, that was sort of 90s. 90s. They in think the it 90s. might have been 1999, which seems quite early. There was a website called cougardate.com, which was specifically right. for, yeah, for women of a certain age looking for men of a younger age. That was the yeah. idea. I mean, it's it. definitely that. That's, there are some etymologies lost in the mists of time where we don't yeah. know the source, but I think we can say for sure. I must say, I actually read some articles of the people who set up cougardate.com, and they said that they'd heard the name mentioned through their friends earlier, sometime in the 1990s in Vancouver. Yeah, um, so, it was Vancouver, which yeah, is yeah. where Cougar Annie was from. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe. Cougars themselves yeah. are not cougars. Really? So actual cougars, the cats... I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Females reach maturity at two and a half years of age and males at three. Yeah. So do you see what I mean? Yeah, like, they, they yeah. don't go for... They don't go for younger males. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know oh, what? Wow. I was so glad just because it confirmed something that we've always kind of thought. You know how 
Cougars have all these different names, and you're never sure what's what. You're like a puma, a panther, a mountain lion, a catamount. What the hell is going on? What are all these cats? And they're all the same thing, and it does have the Guinness World Record for the most names for a mammal. Yeah. So there you go. And For, that's 40 according to them. Surely 40. Names. humans have more than 40 names. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. What? Cool dude. Awesome. <laughs> no, man. I mean actual names. We're thinking like, like Dave, Jeff, Jeff, and Dave and Terry. Sarah. Like I, humans have, there are more than 40 of those. If I was given enough time, I could think of more than 40 names. Yeah. I'm just saying it's the non-human mammal with the most names. No, 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 it's not because they also have their own names. You understand there's a different meaning to the word <laughs> name, right? Some cougars are called Jeff. She's back, <laughs> baby! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. Some point. cougars are called Jeff. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, the names are incredible. Like, I'd never heard the name Catamount, which means cat of the mountain. Yeah. Uh, but they Catamount. also get called the deer tiger, the purple feather. I'm not sure how many people are using purple feather. <laughs> Is these that really days. one? The That's purple one. feather. Mountain screamer. Um, which I love. You wouldn't call an ambulance, would you say, there's a purple feather coming at me, it's the purple feather. It feels like you'd use one of the other ones. Uh. Do you know how you defend yourself against a cougar? We should say because it's useful. Okay, I would run. In America, I would try and run. Don't run. Oh, you're dead. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, no, no, you're dead. Dan and Anna have got a guess. <laughs> what? Can so. I have another guess? Yeah. Give it. Give James a quick. Guess. Okay. Let's say you've magically been resuscitated. <laughs> play so, dead. Play dead. Yeah. You're dead again. What? Sorry. If you play um, dead. <laughs> well, so I can't run and I can't just stay there playing dead. No, that's right. Shotgun. Shotgun. That's the. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Cougarana? No, it's basically don't turn around and don't look away. Make yourself big. Oh, the ace of base defense. Um, stand your ground. Um, you know, like stand on a rock, bear your teeth, shout anything to frighten oh, it and scare I it away. See. Basically, and I've t- thought of a mnemonic for this, which I think might be helpful for listeners. So yeah. just remember, if it's a mountain lion, don't be lying down. And that's the useful, like... What if it's an actual lion? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I thought you were going to say opera singing. Sing opera at it. Ooh. Yeah, because there was not a, on my list. There no. was a case of a woman who was being stalked by a cougar. And she started hiding and she didn't know what to do. And she just got up and started just singing opera. And the cougar just went, whoa. Yeah. I'm, I'm with the cougar there. Opera is awful. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, cougars really hate podcasts. <laughs> really? Yeah, this was <laughs> this is quite a recent study done in California. Which, which ones? Name and shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it off menu? <laughs> Come on. And do you mean it makes them angry or they just they don't want to be around it? No, it puts them off their dinner. Oh. Wow. So let's say you're a cougar mm-hmm. and off menu comes on. <laughs> yeah. And who's that? James A. Caster. Yeah, He's yeah. talking about his food and stuff. Yep. And they would just look at their kill, their deer that they've killed, and just go, oh, I don't really fancy that anymore. In actual fact, the study is to check how they react to humans more generally. Mostly men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah mostly men. You're saying it's not a study about whether there's an untapped podcast market out there. <laughs> You astonished me. <laughs> they wanted to see how they reacted to humans talking if humans are nearby. And what better way to do that than talk radio, podcast, mm, that kind of right. thing. So they played some chatting That's humans correct. and they just left their food alone and just went off. And the problem with this, this is really important. So if you are a cougar and you kill something and you don't eat it, then that means you have to kill something else because you have to eat that, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is the fact that fear really changes ecosystems. If an animal is really scared because there's humans around, it actually affects the ecosystem in ways you don't expect, as in loads of the prey will get killed. It's not just that the cougar itself is scared. 
Wait, sorry, the prey will get killed because the cougar has to go and find something else to Yeah, kill. because it gets put off its food, so it right. needs to go and find something else. And then another podcast comes along, maybe Chris and Rosie Ramsey start oh. chatting to it, and then it has to go and kill another animal. Nightmare. <laughs> We're putting nature off its food. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. awful. If I'm ever attacked, and just go, hello and welcome to another episode of... Ah! <laughs> Can I, can I tell you another record that cougars have got? Oh, yeah. This is another yeah. Guinness World record that cougars have got. I'm going to quote directly. Mountain lions' large hind legs have greater muscle mass than their front legs. This enables them to jump up to 18 feet into a tree. So they could, they could leap over the Statue of David. Up, that, yes. Yes. <laughs> the highest jump on record for any mammal, any mammal... They could just jump over and lick off that beast. <laughs> <and lick laughs> <off their head. laughs> ...was recorded for a puma or a mountain lion, which jumped seven metres... 23 feet straight up from a standstill. That's I worked amazing. out they could jump into the top of an open top bus if they were walking alongside it. Gosh, really? This is so amazing. Like, I read another claim made by the US Wildlife Authorities. They could jump over a school bus the long way round. <laughs> like, front to back. Wow. So what's the distance they can get? Long. It's long. I've just Four named a load, like, load of... Like, the distance, no, I've I just named a load of statistics. It's 40 feet. 40 yeah. feet is 40 the distance. So, okay, 17 feet by long is what we're yeah. saying. Yeah. Um, 40 11... by feet. Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah. Because this bothers me about these kind of stats. Yep. What is the difference in length between a school bus and a bus? I wonder if it's slightly an evil Knievel thing because a lot of stunts were about leaping over back-to-back yeah. transport. Uh, no, but they never said school buses. They just said buses for evil Knievel because they weren't afraid that evil Knievel was going to eat their children inside the bus. <laughs> Whereas they always say school buses <laughs> if it's a slightly threatening animal because it's like it will leap over it and then come in the front door buy its ticket and eat your kids. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to buy tickets for a school bus. <laughs> yeah. Anna. yeah. Right. Well, the it's just all the faster to get on with eating your children, my dear. <laughs> yeah. But they also save human lives, cougars. More human lives than they end, probably because okay. they don't really kill... They don't kill many people at all. Um, very, very rare to get attacked by a cougar. But what they do prey on a lot is deer. And deer cause 1.2 million car crashes in America a year right. and kill 200 people. And what? they did a study which looked at, if you were to introduce cougars, how many people they'd save. Because they've eaten some... all the deer, which are hitting the cars. Exactly. The cars are hitting. It's a tough sell, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you've got this animal that could jump over my school bus, come in, <laughs> buy a ticket, and kill all my kids. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but he's going to eat a few deer. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right, I need, mo- I need to move us on to our final fact of the show. Time for our final fact of the show, and that is Andy. My fact is that nobody knows how large the world's largest crocodile is. What they should do is get a cougar to jump over it and... (laughs) All right. Here's Cassius. So on the screen is a very large crocodile. Huge crocodile. He's called Cassius. He's the largest known crocodile because he's the largest crocodile in captivity. He is... Approximately? Approximately 18 feet. Which means if you stood him upright... (laughs) Yes! That is amazing. I want to see that show where you've got one cougar, one statue of David, and one enormous crocodile. God, I didn't notice that until now now. Well, Channel 5, if you're listening. This is big bucks. Yeah. 
And this is the thing, like, he's been estimated. They're not sure exactly how old he is, his keepers, because they, they took him in about 40 years ago or 35, and um, they believe he might be 80. Some keepers think he might be up to 120 years old. Yeah. An old crocodile. And he was last measured uh, in 2011 at 18 feet. Um, but even then, when they took him in, he was missing bits of his snout and his tail yeah. because of fights or accidents or whatever. And no one has tried to measure him since then. And he's probably grown, but just, you know. Because I think they grow their whole lives, don't they, crocodiles? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he's probably grown, but they really don't want the, like, the admin of measuring him. Yeah. He's really <laughs> terrifying. He's so huge. And he is terrifying. I mean, what I was thinking what you don't want to hear about a crocodile is how his carer describes him, the guy who looks after him, who's a guy called Tootie Scott, which is a funny name. And um, <laughs> Tootie says he still has a lot of spark in him, which is not what you want at all. He says, because <laughs> most crocodiles are quite disinterested. You know, they just sit there like a motionless lump. But this one, when you walk in, Cassius, he, every time he sees you, he wants to come up and say good day. And his <laughs> eyes, his eyes light up. <laughs> Tragically, 2D Scott was actually called 3D Scott until an accident in the pen. <laughs> <laughs> He's terrifying. He's met a load of celebrities. Cassius. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth II? Really? No. Xi Jinping? King of Thailand? They're not so much celebrities as heads of state. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Morrison, who's not a head of state, he's the head of government. Queen Elizabeth was the head of state at the time. But nonetheless, that seemed so important when I said it. And as the words were leaving my mouth, I thought, who gives a toss? Has, he met, has <laughs> he met Kim Kardashian? Or? No data, don't no, know. Just, Might have done. Um, so he hasn't been the longest for that long, has he? The longest crocodile. Because there mm. was another crocodile who I think died in 2013 who was called Lolong. Oh, yeah. And oh, so long they added an extra L and O to the beginning of his name. <laughs> They're just so astonished every time they see him. They go, he's, he's Lolong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, he was 6.13 meters, a little bit longer than Cassius. And he was caught in 2011. I think these are taken into captivity when they're dangerous. So he'd eaten some fishermen and a girl, I think. And so, um, which is ba- a black mark against your name, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and so was hunted. And actually, Lalong, when he was hunted, it took over 100 people to bring him onto land. He was really aggressive. He sort of broke his restraining ropes twice. And he was named after the crocodile hunter in the area, whose nickname was Lalong. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Lolong died, didn't he? He did, Lolong died. And I imagine for the obituary, they would have gone with So Long, Lolong. <laughs> 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 if you have a baby crying, let's yeah. say on a speaker, yeah. then a crocodile will run very quickly and aggressively towards it. Ooh. <laughs> to change it or feed it? <laughs> I'm afraid not, because then they start biting the speaker. Oh, dear. They're really attracted to the sound of primates crying and human babies crying the same way that bonobos might or chimpanzees might. Mm. And probably because they hear a, you know, a baby crying, they think this is an easy meal. And what do these crocodiles think of uh, the rest is politics? <laughs> like, would they engage with it? I mean, though, the... I read about that study, and the most amazing thing is that they can tell the difference between how upset a baby is more than you can. 
yeah. then they'll respond accordingly. So, and the way they tested this, which I quite like, is by recording human babies screaming at different levels of emergency. And obviously you can't torture a baby for <laughs> science these days. So instead, what they did was... Anna said with a faint tang of regret in yeah, her voice. Um, <laughs> they recorded babies at bath time when sometimes they cry. And then when they get vaccinated, when yeah. they cry in a bit more of a... Uh, a needle, an any kind way. of needle, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit more of oh, someone right. stabbing me. Um, kind of cry and the crocodiles swim more vigorously more fast towards the speakers that emit the vaccination cry wow. and they can tell a sort of frequency difference that even we can't crocodiles anti-vaxxers that's what we're <laughs> taking from that I knew I never liked them um, can I mention very quickly yeah. we're talking about crocodiles can't, can't not mention the great Steve Irwin thank you for the <laughs> the silent respect crocodile hunter yeah, he was a crocodile hunter. But he had his Australia Zoo, and that was his big thing. He used to jump on a lot of massive crocodiles. And one of the things which is said about him, and there's a, there's a tiny bit of question about it, but a lot of people say this is true, is that he had a Galapagos tortoise inside Australia Zoo, and the previous owner of the tortoise was Charles Darwin. Isn't that insane? Oh my God, that's so cool. So she was called Harriet. She survived from the time of the Beagle expeditions all the way through to Steve Irwin's zoo, just to give you the idea of the span of time. And um, it's quite nice because Steve Irwin was definitely a huge hero of mine. There is a minor planet out in the universe now named for him. So Mm -hmm. out there somewhere is a minor planet called Crikey. Which no. Is, yeah. <laughs> um, something clever that crocodiles do, which is really mean um, and evil, is they. Well, I'll tell you what they do, and you'll tell me why. They okay. lie underwater, and alligators do this as well. And they just have a little bit of their head sticking out, and then they put sticks or branches on their head. What are they doing? They're leering human children who like to play pick up sticks. <laughs> <laughs> You're very close, and it, that could be a secondary purpose. Oh, okay. oh, they're pretending to be a bird's nest, so a bird will land on them and they'll eat them. You're basically, between you, you're correct. A that- human baby flies down. <laughs> <laughs> and picks out one of the sticks and then says, Jenga. You've gone the wrong way. <laughs> um, it's to trick birds into thinking that they're sort of a tree, because they look quite tree-like, don't they? They look like branches. Um, and try and go and collect their sticks to make their nest with, so then the bird will go and land on them to pick up a stick uh, to make a nest. Snap, you're done. Wow. Dinner. Um, do you know how to measure... Uh, this is for alligators. Yeah. I hope I'm allowed a sort of slight curveball. Yeah, of course. Uh, how to measure an alligator if you see one in the wild... Um, so it's possible to measure an alligator in the wild, but it's not possible to measure this crocodile, which is in captivity. Good point. <laughs> I suppose if you're in the wild and you see an alligator, and you think, I wonder how big that alligator is. Okay, so but you, you want to see... But you don't want to go up to it with Got a tape it. measure. So you see something else around it, which you know, you throw your iPhone at it. That's it. The iPhone lands on it, and you <laughs> work it. out how many iPhones it is. That's exactly it. Actually, you have to find an old pair of its shoes in its <laughs> nest. Crocodile shoes. <laughs> That's what the song's about. No, um, it's so easy, and I just want to like another little tip. Yeah. You just approach it uh, at night with a torch, and then you locate the midpoint on its skull, and you estimate the distance to the end of the nostrils. Don't wake it up. And then every inch of that distance is a foot of the alligator. 
Okay. So, like, if that distance is six inches, you've got a six-foot alligator, and so on. Okay, that's clever. Crocodiles do a crazy thing where um, they, you would think, in any scenario where they live, they're, like, the dominant species, right? And they're not. Uh, often hippos, if they're around, are much bigger. Oh, yeah. So, talking earlier about crocodiles running to a baby monitor and hearing baby crying, one thing that hippos tend to use them as is basically like a baby chewing toy They'll go up, and while the croc is just laying there, they'll go and they'll start licking it, they'll start chewing it, and the crocodile will just lay there as if nothing's no. going on. Yeah, because if it makes any movement, it oh. might antagonize oh the hippo into eating it. So it just has to sit there and this be... This is a baby hippo, though, that's yeah. chewing on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. It's just, it just has to lay there and just be sucked on, licked on, just take it. Well, not everyone has a Henry Hoover, you know? We've all got to <laughs> <laughs> work on somehow. Um, I need to wrap us up very soon. Oh, just some things on big animals. Okay, uh, yeah. Seeing as that's what this was about. I was looking at big, small animals. So the largest ant, uh, the largest ant in the world is the safari ant, which is five centimeters in length, uh, which is the same length as David's penis if he was human-sized. If he was human-sized, okay. So if you can imagine a human with the world's largest ant where your penis would be. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's David. That's really helpful. Thank you, James. <laughs> and the world's longest insect in total is a stick insect. Uh, they found one in China, which was 24.6 inches in total length, uh, which means that you couldn't legally use her as a rounder's bat. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, anything else before we... Uh, Anna, you okay? Yeah. I've just... All, all I can think about now is giant house spiders because I've had a real problem with spiders lately. They're, so we've been talking about big animals, but they are the biggest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> There, genuinely there was one in my room the other day and after an hour and a half of staring at it I was on my own um, and eventually managing to kill it with the longest object I could find me at one end, it at the other and they don't die obviously so that its legs are still wriggling I mean, they don't die, they die, don't they? they? can't, they, it's not possible to kill them um, and so <laughs> <laughs> they don't die and it was two in the morning oh, I was God. on my own, this newborn baby was next door my, my newborn baby was next door <laughs> and asleep and you know how like the worst thing that can possibly happen if you have a baby is that it wakes up and then <laughs> its legs there were three legs still moving over the thing that I crushed it with and I screamed at the top of my lungs no 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 you can't be alive you can't be alive please die and um, right. anyway so I looked up how to deter spiders and you can draw lines of chalk everywhere so apparently they don't like the taste of chalk and they taste with their legs oh, uh, like it's oh, all over their I legs. thought you meant like drawing an outline like a murder yeah, like scene. A yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> this person kills spiders. Now let's get out of here, man. <laughs> okay, that is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening to our 500th episode, everybody. We can all be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James. At James Harkin. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Anna. 
I'm uncontactable. You can reach us at... <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. Podcast.qi.com and Andy will pick it up and he'll text me and I'll ignore it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you can get us on our group account at No Such Thing. You can also find our website, nosuchthingasafish.com, where all of our previous episodes are up. You can find merchandise and so on. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much for being here in the room tonight. Thank you, everyone, watching us from around the world. We really appreciate it. We're going to be back again next week with episode 501. The story continues. The facts keep going. We'll see you then. Goodbye!